Welcome to Conversations Matter. I'm Hans Hickler. And I'm Molly Burkholm. Molly and I are big fans of having real, deep conversations. So sit back, relax, be present, and really enjoy this one. I am delighted to be having a conversation with my dear friend, Molly Burkholm, who is, of course, also the partner in crime in our Conversations Matter podcast. I tell people when they ask me, what does Molly do? Man, she is so insightful. What, what does she do? And I always tell people that uh, she, her resume covers three normal people's worth. Uh, she is an accomplished teacher of meditation, yoga nindra meditation, yoga, runs her own studio. She's an entrepreneur. Written two books, working on her masterpiece now, uh, accomplished author, keynote speaker, works with some of the, the biggest companies in the world around stress management and resilience training. She's the co-founder of Warriors at Ease, which is a nonprofit that helps veterans that come back into, into, their, into society with, with, with trauma helped thousands of veterans with Warriors at Ease, uh, trained, I want to say more than 2,000 trainers in the military to help those veterans. Extremely proud of Molly's work in the field of human trafficking, trying to end that horrible practice that is worse now than it's ever been, and helping survivors of human trafficking but Molly is, uh, you know, there's this thing called the, 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 the Renaissance man, the, the Womo Universalis. She comes pretty damn close to it. Spiritual, business-wise, an amazing accomplished mother and accomplished businesswoman. And we're going to have a great conversation with Molly today. So I get to do a podcast with my partner in crime and conversations matter. I've been looking forward to this. Molly... This is the time when you have to do the soul searching, although you do all of that any, anyway when we do our podcast. But uh, let's give our readers some insight into who you are, the person that I've known for many years and admire so much. So welcome. Thank you, Hans. Thank you for asking me to share this. Ah, it's important. number of listeners that keep telling me, I want to know more about Molly. I'm like, okay, well, let's get this done. So... <laughs> So let's start with your story. Uh, I know your story. Uh, you aren't always the Molly you are now. So tell me a little bit about how you got here. It's funny. I think I think I always was the Molly I am now. I just was. I was in a different story, <laughs> a different part of the story. Um, but there's an underlying essence. I can think back even to very young childhood. It feels like almost more precisely who I am now than back then. But I remember <laughs> you telling me that, like with your kids, you, with your siblings, you played some games that well, remind me of that. Oh yeah. So when I was, um, it's funny because now, for those who don't know, one of the techniques I share is a technique called yoga nidra, which is a, a guided form of mindfulness meditation yeah. where people lie down and relax. And when I was a kid, my sisters and I used to go into uh, the walk-in closet of my parents and I would ha I would set up this uh, like nest for them with blankets and pillows and I would um, I would have them close their eyes and I would put my hands on their head and I would rub their temples and I would speak to them in this very low soothing voice 
and I would take I would take them on this journey. It was more of a journey than I mm-hmm. do now, although I'm starting to do that more now. But it was I would take them on on a journey that was really, in some way, it was a it was a meditative journey. Yeah, it sounds like like your your guided meditation. Totally. And yeah. when I when I would share it, I remembered feeling so peaceful. We used to call it hypnotizing, and uh-huh. the people they would ask me, they would say. Would you hypnotize me? And I, so we'd go into the closet and do the the hypnosis. And it was such a sweet time. And oftentimes, as well, um, which is somewhat of how I share now, there would be other people, there would be other people there. I remember my friend Mary Larkin, um, you know, my other, one of my other sisters would be there, some of our other friends. It was a big closet. It was as if we were holding space for, yeah, the, for the person to have their experience. Um, so it was interesting. And then, you know, I went That's very cool. Yeah, it was sweet. And then you kind of go away and that was young. I mean, that was probably 10, nine, 10, 11, yeah. maybe. And then, you know, I went away from it and, uh, really, you know, in this Cartesian world that we are told that our value is what exists in our brain. And so that very much became the place where I devoted my attention and time was to education and then career. And I became uh, majored in finance and international business. And then I became uh, an investment banker in New York City. I worked for Bank of America. Uh, well, actually, in the beginning... I think our leaders, our, our listeners would be like totally amazed to learn that you were in investment <laughs> banking. I know I was. It blew me away when you first told me that. Yeah, it was, um, you know, but also that's a part of me too. It's funny because I do have a business side and I love that part too. But Well, you now work with a lot of business people in your practice, right? And, mm-hmm. and that's, a, that's an affinity that helps. Exactly. About half my clients are people in the corporate world yeah. and I feel a sense of connection because I remember being in that space. I remember being overly yeah. stressed. I remembered not finding meaning and purpose in what I was doing, even though in some way it felt like it utilized my skills, how those pieces were missing. And so now I feel like I can really speak to I that can, I can see that you can connect, they can connect with you easier knowing that you've got that background. But as I say this, I think, okay, you were never like a, a special forces person and you helped the special forces people with, <laughs> with trauma and, and, and uh, resilience training. So to some degree, you, you've sort of bridged your ability to, to, to help people, even if you don't have the direct experience base. But, but yeah, when we take off our stories, you know, when we take yeah. off the story of, I'm a banker, I'm a special ops person, you're a CEO. Yeah. But to me, you're also a writer and a poet and yeah. a humanitarian. Like, If I think of you, that's what I think of way before I think of CEO. I don't think of oh, that thank story you. first. So that... And in that way, I feel yeah. like those are all, you know, like you say, there's like the dash after your name. Um, but in that state of, you know, now it's mostly stress management and resilience programs that I share with um, companies. Mm-hmm. And I also share create creative visioning sessions, which at first people think isn't stress management, but it's tremendously stressful to not feel connected to your own creative forces inside of yourself and to not feel like you can actualize the ideas in your head and that what you have inside of you has meaning and purpose that is extremely stressful so it is people accept sort of the premise that says you know it's sort of a well-known premise that if people who visualize their goals achieve them much Mm -hmm. more than people who don't Mm -hmm. but it's usually said about sort of goals this is what i want to achieve Mm -hmm. be it 
job, be it uh, um, uh, money, but the same holds true on what do I want to achieve with myself, right? Absolutely. Like who's the person I want to be or, or what am I, you know, what's left to be done type stuff, right? And it's more, it's funny because people often will come to me with one of two things. One, they're stressed out and they're at the edge, of, they're at the end of the rope. And a lot of the times it comes when someone in their family or close inner circle or board of directors says, you need help now. Yeah. You have a serious problem. Um, and then other times I get people who have an idea that they want to hatch, but I would say that those all start coming together very quickly because what I share with people is not about a goal and it is not about being free from stress, whatever that means. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know what a stress-free body would be, maybe dead, but, um, it's, it's not that I, I mean, I teach how to be calm. I teach that. I teach how to, to bring your dreams to life and how to create the things that, that are manifesting inside of you. I do share that. But what I share most is how to listen, how to be present, mm -hmm. how to, feel embodied, how to live your authentic truth. The, the truth is that if you're tuning to that frequency, everything else will happen. If mm. you're tuning to your frequency, the stress that might be at you know, the top decibel now, you might still have stress, but you, your attention isn't on it. Because yeah. your attention is on this thing that is... is drawing you forth like this thing that wants to be born through you and the only and only the way you can do it and then people they don't it's interesting because a lot of times the dreams people end up realizing they're you know the visions they end up realizing aren't the ones they initially came in with but when they start tuning into that inner frequency that inner mm -hmm. voice and start really listening then their inner potential is unfolded and unlocked and then they see they can see more clearly the actual seed of the pulse that is their unique manifestation or creation or way of being or way of living and sometimes that's you know moving to an organic farm in Oregon yeah sometimes it's a total shift and other times it's right in the same place the same ground they stand on but the perspective shifts and it stops being about valuing just financial outcomes and about valuing humanity and people and impact mm -hmm. and purpose and meaning and all of the things that give life its flavor and its richness, all the things that bring us alive, all yeah. the things that lead us out of, you know, a controlled contraction and help us expand and breathe into the, the fullest expression of who we can be, the living, breathing, vital force of our soul. Now, I might sound totally far out there when I'm saying that, and I don't really care because I want to ignite that fire that that is possible. And it's not possible just for a few people. It's possible for everyone to feel alive and to feel and how they And there's they steps that happen in this, right? Like, like, mm -hmm. like small steps, big impact, right? But I, I can't tell you how many of my clients have said, you know, I'd like to do more of what you're doing. You know, you meditate twice a day and, you know, you, you spend time on social stuff. And I'm like, like, well, that was a choice. The only reason you say you don't have time for it is because you you feel like you've allocated 120% of your time the way you feel it needs to be allocated. But if you have all these other things you want to accomplish, something something always has to give to get to get new stuff, right? You got to 
let some things go. So, you know, this, this, this life of a CEO where you're, you're, you know, where you're, you have no time for anything else, and yet part of you is saying, there's all these things that I want to be doing or experiencing. It's only a, it's a choice. It's a choice. Well, you know, and, once you've decided. It's, it's, it's a choice. And just to hold space for not everyone has the freedom for whatever reason to make a choice like that, whether it's through for financial reasons or for interpersonal reasons, we can't always just change everything and go for it. However, no, but it if is I'm a, a successful CEO and I've made life. my money, you know, I always tell people, look, I. I was able to do a lot of the things because I, I had the privilege and, and, and the, the, the tools and resources to allow me to take risks. I get a 20-year-old just starting can't do the things that I did when I was 50. But I think there, there is this chasing for more thing that happens all the time where the, it's never the right time to do those yeah. things, right? So I think yeah. part of you know, working with you that I find really interesting is that you 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 know you I've I've done several facilitated sessions with my YPO forum group. One of the things you 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 sort of talk about when to listen is listen with your body. Mm-hmm. For me, that really resonated. What's your body telling you right now as we're mm-hmm. talking about this thing, or as you're thinking about this, or as you're visualizing this? Listen to your body. What is it saying? And what that did for me was, this is whatever it is I want to achieve is not. It's really not, an, for want of a better word, an option. Mm-hmm. Because when your body is telling you mm-hmm. that you need to do something differently, mm-hmm. right, then it's a whole different play. And the body and mind are connected, right? So, you know, it's, it's what I feel in my body is, is, is what I feel in, in my presence mm-hmm. now. I, didn't, I never listened to my body before. And that's the key because the key, it isn't in the destination. So whether you are that 20 year old or you are um, the the single parent who, you know, can't quit your job because, you you know, you've got three kids to feed or um, or whatever the situation or whether for whatever reason, economic, racial, other limitations that are Mm -hmm. imposed, we can't. What we can do, the place we do have a choice is in how we occupy the moment. So what you just described of being in your body, that is the invitation that we all have every single moment. Want to do it now? Like, can we just take two minutes? Let's just take two minutes. Take a moment now to notice the ripple of what has been perceived so far and notice the feeling that is present inside of you and then unfolding even more fully into the abundance of just this Feel that surface your body is resting upon. Feeling yourself supported by that surface. See if you can give yourself to that surface. Notice all the places you're holding in the body, those places where we're blocked from actually connecting. Draw back. 
drop back into just being held. Held by the moment. Held by the voice. Held by the air. Five senses wide open to receiving this experience. Taste. Touch. Smell, sound, what the eyes are seeing, even if they're closed. Taking a few really deep abdominal breaths, letting the breath open up your body to access sensation. Really letting yourself feel the sensation of your body. See if you can start to elongate the exhalations. Observing the mind, like you're watching a movie playing on a blank screen. The screen is permeated by consciousness. Feeling the heart soft and open, alive. it feels safe, if it feels right, opening to a deeper connection with what is being shared in this podcast, which is being shared from my heart and Hans's. How open and deeply are you willing to be? beliefs are you willing to question opening breathing into the space of potentiality of everything that can be letting these words be ripples that invite you into a deeper exploration of this moment in a fuller embodied presence deeply listening One more deep breath and see how present you can be for it. If you'd like to open the eyes, you can. Otherwise, you can keep them closed and just listen. What a treat. Mm. 
short guided meditation from Molly Burkholm. Mm-hmm. It's incredible to me, you know, my, my meditation is a mantra meditation, but at the end of it I do this, this guided meditation and it just strikes me so much how pure consciousness, the body and breath are all interconnected. Mm-hmm. You know, how the breath is sort of the, the connectivity to, to everything. It's really Yeah, really the breath nice. reflects the mind, the mind reflects the breath. By tuning into the rhythm of the breath, yeah. if it's short and shallow, typically the mind is agitated or irregular. If the breath is long and deep, the mind yeah. is calm and smooth. And so that's that way to get that direct line into your nervous system. Yeah. And even in two minutes, you can shift your state. Totally. Totally. I'm shifted. <laughs> i got to get out of my Zen mode and get back in here. Um, okay. Let's we go back to the story. <laughs> so, investment banker. So, give us the bridge of how investment banker in New York to. So we have this consciousness, a place where we're not separate, where we're still connected. And in the twenty-second year of my life, I found myself in a taxi cab in New York City, and um, I got into a very severe taxi cab crash Um, and in that moment my cab driver was crushed by the front of the car the way the impact occurred and I was trapped in the back seat of the car my skull was fractured my spine was fractured my sternum was fractured and uh, due to being trapped in the car uh, and experiencing the blood and the visceral experience and proximity to death I had very severe post-traumatic stress. Um, It took me years to hear the voice, you know, but still the echoes in the body. It took me years to really uh, process that. And it's not that trauma ever fully leaves, but what happens is we draw the storyline around it and we find tools to be in it. So... Um, yeah, so in that moment, my took world took years was for your changed. body to heal and for the sort of the, the trauma oh, yeah. to get. Oh yeah, the mind was way worse. I mean, I had yeah. years of chronic, excruciating pain, yeah. migraines, nightmares, flashbacks, anxiety, panic attacks, hypervigilance, depression, anxiety. I mean, like, you name it. If you look yeah. at the clinical description of post-traumatic stress disorder (PTSD), I had pretty much the entire list. I was I don't think I was ever suicidal per se. There were definitely moments when I hated my life and didn't mm. want to be in it, but I don't think I ever crossed that threshold into not wanting to be in it. And in fact, in that moment of the crash, what happened? I feel that it was the moment I fractured my skull. You know, if you hear the stories about people who almost died, they often will talk about you know, the white light and Mm -hmm. the experience. And that was very resonant. I felt myself lifting up out of my body in that moment. And I can still go right back to that feeling. It was a feeling of total peace without an opposite. Complete freedom from suffering. While you were in the cab. A liquidy, bliss-like state that just pervaded 
everything, like a feeling of total interconnectivity and yet total freedom. And then this thing happened, a thought came in, and the thought said, you just finished university, you have this great job, you, you can't leave, like you have to stay. And I had this feeling like I grabbed my life and I came crashing back down into my body. And the second I came crashing into my body, I was met with this scene out of a horror film and abject pain in my body. And the next thought was, what did I just do? Like, I just grabbed this and I chose it. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, such a frightening moment. In fact, almost more frightening than what had happened. It was a moment of, uh, it was a limbic state into realizing that on a soul level in consciousness, we are so vast and expansive and free. Yeah. And the moment we step into these physical forms, yeah. suffering comes. Yeah. Now, wow. what happened over the years that followed that was, you know, once you taste beef, it's really hard to be in the suffering. And that's something that I often, sometimes people think when they start meditation, like it's all going to be white lights and happy and cheery. And what ends up happening is you have moments of that and that's what holds you. But you also have to spend a long doing time a doing the work. inventory and yeah. cleaning out the dirty laundry and everything in the shadows and everything yeah. you pushed under the rug and shoved in the closet. And You say two minutes of meditation can give you a lot of peace. I'll tell you, two <laughs> minutes in meditation sitting with, with a truth can feel like hours. Totally. And so sometimes people will say like, well, why should I do it? And I'm like, okay, let me just cleaning ask you this question. Attic. Even if you're not looking at it, are those things not causing yeah. you suffering? All the things yeah. that you are spending so much effort suppressing, and you can see it in people, the ones who look like they're about to explode, like they have shoved so much yeah. under that rug that they cannot, it's like they can't possibly contain it in their skin any longer. It's like about mm -hmm. to explode out. And, and that's, you know, like the, the why meditation should, especially in people who've had trauma, should be held in a really loving embrace, a space mm -hmm. of loving embrace and safety. And, and, and um, that's why I like guided meditation so much, because it takes you by yeah. the hand and says, we're going to be going on a little journey here, and I'm right here with you. It's yeah. like being in that closet holding the head and just saying, I love you, I'm here. I want to take you on a safe journey into welcoming all of your human experience, whatever's going on in this physical body, not just the pleasure, not just the relaxation, yeah. also the pain. Now we're going to go on a journey through the breath. Now we're going to observe the mind. We're going to feel what's going on in the mind. We're going to feel it in the body, like you said. We're going to feel the heart space. We're going to open to the love that's always there, regardless of what's happening in life. And then we're going to drop back into consciousness the part of you that's always at peace, the part of you that is healthy mm -hmm. and whole and complete, just exactly as you are. So many people say they, they don't know how to meditate. Uh, you know, I, I can't clear my head, which, by the way, is not what meditation is. But um, that's why I like guided meditation, mm -hmm. because it's sort of, you, you don't have, you're, you're, your hand is being held in the meditation. All you need to just do is, like, relax mm -hmm. and listen and, 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 and go with a flow. It's a real flow, right? Yeah. That's nice. I'm not so now we have left New York. 
So, yeah, so I was in New York. I was in New York a lot for a few years, but my body uh, was transplanted several different places. I was in London for a while. I was in Chicago. So um, I was kind of between those three cities for work-related reasons and personal reasons. And uh, in the process of that, I had to do, you know, a lot of physical healing, of course. I had to do a lot of mental healing. And I was searching for answers, you know. And the thing was, in my life, like, I had had, I mean going to pretend otherwise. Like, I had a pretty good life. Like I had yeah. parents who loved me. I mean, was it perfect? No, there was dysfunction in my family like any mm-hmm. other family. Like, you know, that's that that was real, but there it was held in so much love yeah. and good so much kindness yeah. and so yeah. much fun and support. And to this day, like I don't have to turn around. I know my parents are right behind me. And that's like such yeah. a feeling of freedom and it's a privilege. And I know that. But in my life in general, like my mental space, like I was pretty happy. Like I had never had like, you know, anything. And all of a sudden I've got this whole list of problems. So I started going to the therapist and every therapist, you know, said you have post-traumatic stress disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder. And it was like, again and again, I'm like, I, I had a car accident. What right. is my response supposed to be? I came close to dying. I, yeah. I, I had this horrific experience look, what is a human being supposed to feel? And it was like they were more interested in pasting the title the disorder and handing me a pill. And I, t- I tried taking the pills for about two weeks and I was like, this is so profoundly wrong for me. I don't need, they would say, tamp it down. I don't need to tamp it down. I need tools to feel safe. I need people who can hold space for me to feel my pain, work my way through it, and get to the other side. Mm. And to be honest, and like compassionate with the world, and compassionate with my family, and compassionate with my friends at the time, we are not taught how to be with our own pain, let alone anyone else's pain. So part of what I encountered in that was a secondary trauma, and that was the trauma of realizing that this world, this society, is not, um, you know, with all the kindness and compassion, we're not trained for how to hold space when things fall apart. And, you know, here's the newsflash that you Everybody and I Everybody gets right? kneecapped. Everybody gets kneecapped. Yeah. And so it was like, I kept looking for the instruction manual of, you know, how do I do this? How yeah. do I get through this? And so, you know, I tried all the things, the self-help, oh God, you know, self-care, yeah. like there's only so many massages you can get until you realize yeah. like, you know, I also have to do the inner work, all the, you know, self-improvement, self this, self that, yeah. I tried so many of them. But the thing that happened was I, the first, my mom actually suggested I go to try yoga and meditation and the very first class, I felt a taste not in the same way, but I felt a taste of that peace that I felt in the cab. And I grabbed that with like a desperation and a hope that mm-hmm. was, you know, we talk in yoga about prachahara, the, you know, one of the first states of entering meditation of single pointed focus, why we use a mantra. I grabbed that taste of peace with a single pointed focus that was unpenetrable Mm -hmm. and I committed myself I said whatever just gave me that taste again in the midst of my pain I want it and I'm going to do it and I have done I practiced yoga you know meditation not everyday yoga but certainly meditation I almost every day if not every day and now it's not like 
I mean, I do do practice of meditation, but it also becomes a state of being. Yeah. But those tastes were what gave me the handhold. And then from there, if I could even have a moment of dropping back into that piece, then that self-awareness that you and I talk about a lot, like that ability to step back and be like, okay, stress is present, pain is yeah. present, this is present, conflict is present, but I'm peace itself, consciousness, just back behind this moment. Yeah. I always exist in a state of peace. And that freedom, that handhold, gave me everything I needed to keep going. Yeah. Because you do, your sort of state of peace, as you say, you sort of distance yourself from all the things that you're observing. And you're, you're, by doing that, you're, you're, you're managing them as opposed to living them, right? You're, you're, well, you're, I would say you are still, in fact, I think at first the tendency, and we call it, you know, in the, in the spiritual community, we can call it spiritual bypass, where you try to happy, happy, joy, joy, or peace, yeah, peace yeah. your way over your problems. I definitely don't share that. What I share... No, you, you're, you're hope sitting I with stuff. It's like, <laughs> I am willing to sit here and be with this pain as long as yes. it's here. But while I'm doing it, I'm also going to connect with that yeah. piece yeah, that's behind it. And that piece, that connection with consciousness that we get the taste of in meditation, and then we grow it into a full-bodied, constant experience of presence, that is the liberation to be with pain. Now, everybody's afraid of pain. Everybody's afraid of dying. Like, but if you can get in the ring with that and learn to find your peace in the midst of pain mm -hmm. and learn to keep your peace in the midst of it, that's a freedom. Now, you took all that, that and, and you, you went all in, right? You traveled to India. You learned with the masters, and you came back and actually made it your profession, right? You opened up mm -hmm. studios and now you're an accomplished author on 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 yoga nindra and you've turned it you know i've i've witnessed you turning this into mm -hmm. a a business where you help like i said everybody from business people to special forces people on managing through trauma and also creating resilience mm -hmm. and uh so so here we are now uh and uh boy you're an author a business person a public speaker a, an entrepreneur Mm. Your 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 uh, resume fits three people's worth of of of, uh, of of paper, not not one. Well, and I want to just pause and say that um, you know no person does anything in isolation. We have people along the way who can see things in us That's that we can't true. see in ourselves. And in those journeys through Asia, there were guides, and in returning. And when I started working with veterans at the VA, there were guides. And then there was a place in my life where things fell apart again, and that was when I got divorced. Um, and in that moment, um, because of financial limitation, because I had given my earning power over to mm -hmm. my ex-husband, I had a limitation because I couldn't keep doing my uh, freewheeling, I'm going to give all my work away to help humanity. Yep. I couldn't keep I doing that, that anymore. And so I had this friend named Hans who said, oh, yeah, she, Stop you, giving you it can away. do something new. <laughs> and so here's how it could happen. And you helped me paint that vision. So for those Thanks. who have been listening to the podcast, I, I have a deep um, love and profound gratitude for Hans. Who I'm a bit of your business guru, and you're my guru guru. <laughs> so. Not even a bit of it. You're, you're all the time, yeah. but you can yeah. help me clear out my blogs. 
Look, I, I think I, I admire your work so much. I mean, you, your foundation, Warriors at Ease, uh, helping veterans, uh, and you know, you and I have had so many discussions, and then the profound good that's done those people who who really need needed to find a tool like you did to mm-hmm. to get through trauma is is just amazing, just amazing. Mm, um, tell me this. Um, so you and I have talked about like how our our work has changed with the pandemic and 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 mm-hmm. sort of everything that's going on right now the, the the social justice movement and tell me how not not how you may, maybe how your work is is related to that now but but tell me some of the work that you've done on yourself in these times how mm-hmm. how how has Molly responded so what what's the truth look like now Mm, such a good question. So it's interesting because you know the more we do work on ourselves, the more we do feel pain and open and vulnerable. And it's that vulnerability which gives us access to connection. So everything I say, I want to hold in the space of feeling and honoring, even if I can't feel but I opening my heart to try to feel that all of this is happening in a deep interconnected field where we're really going through something huge here together like we are in this moment of universal vulnerability and that vulnerability has individual ripples and it has collective ripples and what the story I'm about to share is like I, I just want to put it in the scope also of You know, there's no relative suffering. Like our suffering is our suffering. Um, our story is our story, and so we are entitled to feel our own suffering. And we're also, well, I would say, no, I'm not going to say we. I'm entitled to feel my own suffering, and I'm also, in some way, I feel, I feel obliged to make space to feel the pain of others. And I feel like if you're to ask me this question of what that's been like, um, it's been a very challenging and also, as it always happens, like deeply valuable experience of learning to hold space and attack belief systems for how connected my pain is to collective pain and how collective pain is so intrinsically linked with my pain. So how like the inner work has changed, first and foremost, I think with all of the social rights movements that are happening right now and with a deep opening to compassion around COVID and all the ways people are suffering, not just from the disease, but from financial hardship, loss of career. I mean, let's be honest, I'm a mom who's got my kid. I'm a single mom who, Mm -hmm. you know, I work way more than 40 hours a week and I've got a kid at home now that needs to be homeschooled. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, on the computer, but let any parent will tell you you're doing yeah. a ton of work. So how has it changed? Um, it's changed in the sense that, that all of that has caused me to dismantle my belief system and the manner in which I work, engage with society and the way in which I'm called to do my work in the world. So... Um, 
The change for me happened before COVID. Before COVID, I was doing a lot of public speaking, teaching, you know, going to share keynotes at conferences, going to companies and sharing keynotes and stress management resilience programs, doing um, resilience programs with the special operations community through our nonprofit warrior cities in the military, doing trauma retreats. It was very externally focused. Yeah. A lot and, of that stuff's come to a halt, right? Yeah, retreats I was traveling and conferences all the time. And, and you and yeah. I had this moment it was a week. It was like three days where, for me, it was three days. I lost 75% yeah. of my income in three yeah. days because everything canceled. Yeah, Everything canceled because we couldn't travel anymore. Yeah. So it all canceled. And so there was a pivot. And there was a pivot even before that because um, the Shivananda ashrams that I've taught at for years underwent a, uh, it was disclosed these horrible um sexual uh, abuse allegations that they tried to cover up and deny. And because of that, I made the decision to stop teaching at the ashrams because mm -hmm. they weren't willing to do the work to heal the root causes of that and to care for the people who'd been wounded and affected by it. So it was almost like COVID things started happening before COVID yeah. happened and then COVID happened and it said, oh yeah, guess what? You're going to change everything. You're going to have to change everything. <laughs> so... I started changing. I mean, I really had to pivot, and you once again helped me pivot. Um, but I, I see a, that that's sort of the work side. I see these last four months of during COVID and, and, and Black Lives Matter, and mm -hmm. I'm even going to throw in the Me Too movement. For sure. You're very you're you're also very active in 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 helping victims of human trafficking, and and so sort of your underlying empathy has always been there since I've known you. Mm. But I think you've done a lot of work on yourself around sort of what you'll tolerate mm. now versus, I think, the Molly from four months ago versus the Molly I talk to now. And I was wondering if you could maybe uh, give us an insight that, that you could share. Like, give me an example of, like, some work that you've done on yourself. Because I think it's interesting for our listeners to understand when you talk about doing work on yourself and sitting with something... Give us an example of something you've sat with in the last three months that, that then fundamentally changes how you focus on things. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that a fair? Yeah. I, there's, gosh, which one to choose? There's a lot of them. Um, one of them is, um, I would say, finding my voice. Not that, it's so funny because I've said that to people, including you, and people have been like, uh, you didn't have your voice before. Yeah. No, <laughs> but, but I, I know mean, many examples of, of, truly, of what you're about to tell me. Yeah, there was, um, there was deep inside of me. Um, I would say, even though, I mean, it's not that I, it's of course like a relative thing, but there was a big part of me that when confronted, and you know, I don't need to go into all the reasons why or how it's seated, mm -hmm. but we can a little bit, but... When confronted, especially with um, strong male figures, I would shrink my voice. And I would bow, I would, and not even if, by the way, like the person that I'm talking to wouldn't even necessarily be trying to shrink my voice. Yeah. I'm going to own my part of it. I would shrink my voice. I would shrink my voice and I wouldn't say, I wouldn't stand on the ground. I would ask permission, which I, I still do. I actually did it in this one. I said, can I do this meditation? Like, mm. I really wanted to do the meditation. I hadn't planned it, but it came up in the mm. moment. And then I asked you, can I do it? And I'm like, in the self-awareness in the moment, it's like, oh, I should have said, 
you know, would you enjoy doing a meditation together? Like that's a way. I hey, it's my interview. That. You got to ask me. <laughs> <laughs> Do I though? <laughs> no, because it's not an interview. It's a conversation. It's a conversation. So right. that's why when Hans and I decided to call this conversations matter, it wasn't interviews matter. It was conversations right. matter. Right. We wanted to not have the hierarchical structure of we're the interviewers and right. we're going to ask you questions. It was right. going to be a conversation. So anyway, that I think our, again, like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it was happening before it was happening. You and I were in that conversation yeah. and there's many ways in which it's unfolded, but even in the podcast itself, you and I have had a really precious opportunity to both explore how our voices intertwine, which mm-hmm. I want to presence by saying like, if I were to pick five people on this earth who I know like truly love me and see me and appreciate me, Hans is one of those people. He's shown up for me in dark oh. moments and good moments. And like, I know you see me. I know you respect me. I know you love me. But I'm the interrupter. You and are I'm the interrupter. The, the, if, if you <laughs> shut your voice down, I turn my volume up, right? And, yeah. uh, and it's interesting in our podcast, we've said this right at the beginning, our first podcast, God, I, I, I look at it, I'm, I'm, I'm like ashamed of, of how I sometimes like just jump in there, right? And, and, and it's, it's embarrassing because I sort of pride myself in like with my meditation to listen and, op- and open up and make space, but our dominant gene becomes our dominant gene unless mm-hmm. we, we sit with it, right? And, and then so this is really interesting. I, I think... You know, the, the interview, the, the, the conversation we had with Nikki McKean, I mean, what I've been sitting with a lot lately is this difference between I may not be able to understand, but I can have understanding, mm-hmm. right? And with all this stuff that's going on, I, I don't even fathom that us white privileged people or white privileged men can... I can empathize, but I, I can't understand. I, I can't understand. And I, I think Nikki helped me really think through that a little bit and say, I can't understand, but I can have understanding. Mm-hmm. So, as a person who I deeply admire, give me some understanding of what it's like to be a woman working, a single mom mm working like like because to me i mean you you know it's still very male male dominated society you you and Mm -hmm. i've got numerous examples of 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 things like that right Mm -hmm. um give me a sense of of where your perspective on this is yeah it's interesting because you know and i want to hold space for like both of the opposites because both are really really present Um, what is it like on one end of the spectrum? I have never felt more empowered in my life. I pay all of my own bills. I do it entirely. And my son's bills, (laughs) including Mm -hmm. his very expensive school tuition. I do it doing the things that I love to do. I entirely create my own schedule. I have the gift of being able to decide which clients I want to work with and which ones I don't. 
I work with some of the thought leaders and change makers who are actually changing the world. And I don't mean that in a small sense. I mean it in a huge sense, like people who are creating the conversation and I get to be a part of that dialogue. Mm-hmm. And I get to be in the heart of it with them and the conversation with them. I absolutely love what I do. And I love that doing what I do can create such amazing ripples. I love that my son sees me doing it. I love that. It's so funny, you know, Santi has really, I thank him all the time because I've been able to do what I do because he is such a good kid who gets the whole thing like he's so wise you know you and i talk about like the power of first thoughts he's he's an amazing kid my first thought when i saw him was i don't know more than you and he's proved it true every single day of his life he totally sees the value of what i do and he always has valued it and created the freedom for me i mean i sometimes travel half the time yeah I mean, pre-COVID, I was traveling almost half the time. And he always says, I love that you help people. I love that you change the world. I love that you're, you know, helping veterans and helping trafficking survivors and helping leaders. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, like, to see that and to hear him tell the stories to his friends, like, and sometimes his teacher told me at school, and I heard him say it one time, too, at school, Sometimes I can't go to things that he yeah. has at school. And so there's the terrible part, you know, I miss the choir concert. So somebody asks, you know, where's your mom? Yeah. And he always, and his teachers told me, his teachers have told me this and I've heard him say it. He says, he'll say things like, my mom's, my mom's traveling, helping people. When he was little, he used to say, my mom's traveling, saving people's lives. Yeah. My mom's traveling, doing something. But he always like sees that there's good in value. it. So the heartbreaking part is that I'm not there for everything. And even when we are home, Santi has to share space with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I always try to include him in everything I do. Yeah, he's do. traveled with me everywhere. He's yeah. been to 15 countries. He go- He's like grown up in monasteries and ashrams and meditating yeah. and doing all those things. However, like he, he has to share 75% of the day with other people. So that's not a normal life. But I think at, what's it like being a mom, like doing what my work is like, I've had the gift of seeing that my kid can, can grow and be strong with that. Yeah. However, the thing is when I do, Make, have you know, and I, Santi is my priority above all. Like I say, I travel half the time, but if, if something is needed or whatever, like, and when I'm home, I'm a hundred percent on for him. Yeah. I mean, most of the time that I've been traveling, I've been his room mother, and I'm I, I am there for. I yeah. always my whole schedule is booked around when he has yeah. baseball games and events and like. Yeah. It's not that I don't value it. I do, but it's also. When I'm with him, I really put the phone down and I really try to just be present with him. And I really try to cross-pollinate our lives through conversation. There's a tremendous amount of honesty in Mm -hmm. your guys' relationship. Mm -hmm. Like you, you, 
you speak to him like an adult, and, it, and mm-hmm. you know, you 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 give him that gift of I'm mm-hmm. I'm, I'm treating you as 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 an equal, obviously, but you know what I mean. There's a real sincerity mm-hmm. in your guys' relationship. Thank you for that. But, he, but let me let me ask you, like you you made mentioned earlier when you went through your divorce that that you had you had I don't forget the words abdicated your financial your ability your earning mm-hmm. to your spouse. Mm-hmm. And that's such an underlying theme f- for many women who are, are trapped mm-hmm. financially. They feel they have no choice to leave a bad situation, to whether that's you know a, a marital situation or trafficking. Is is that this this lack of choice? And just walk me through that because I, I never got the sense that you didn't. I know it it worried you, mm-hmm. but I never got the sense that you felt you didn't have a choice. But but there there is a real element of that being a being a a woman. Mm-hmm. The, the, you you sometimes do get trapped into situations where to just like you said to me, you know, with the CEOs, they can't just some people just don't have the situation or the wherewithal to make a choice at at a given time. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand. It needs to be made, right? Well, and that is, I mean, I so often, whenever young women ask me for advice, one of my first pieces is usually never give up your income generating ability. Yeah. And um, there are, I mean, I'm not going to do it now, but there are thousands of cases where people were living multi-million dollar luxury lives billionaire Mm -hmm. lives that all of a sudden had nothing right i wasn't in that situation actually i had a very humane divorce and um i also will acknowledge the privilege of knowing that even though i did make it in general on my own there were you know i knew my family if i needed a place to live or whatever my family was there but however what i would say to women is is that you know (laughs) and i would say to men because there's many men now in that role too like you you will Mm -hmm. find your way to be you know every house finds their way and i'm not being prescriptive that every woman needs to work but every person needs to have financial independence of some kind so that if you need to walk away you could walk away and no one ever thinks their marriage or life is going to fall apart i i didn't i mean yeah if you think your marriage is going to fall apart hopefully you don't get married but i certainly didn't think it and then guess what sometimes things fall apart like we said so it's but the one thing i would say to this uh, uh, is one of the hardest parts of overcoming that. It's funny because I've had a few chances to address it. And when you ask what's it like being a woman who does that, it's oftentimes women think it's like men holding them back. In fact, I've had really horrible situations with men. Oh, wait, actually, I can share some of them, but it's men have given me a huge platform in this life. Men have had my back and supported me and help me find my way so many times but I will say that oftentimes 
And I've had many women who have supported me and done that too. You know, Carrie Jordan, Sarah Drew, Jane Charles. Like, I know I'm leaving a hundred people out, but there's so many who have like really helped me. But uh, interestingly, there's often been a, a, a judgment from women that I'm not being a real mom, a good mom. Um, I remember one time this mom at Santi's school, I remember exactly where I was standing, what we both were wearing. It was such an interesting moment where it was so chiseled in my brain. We're standing there, you know, just in the, in the, after dropping off from school. And she said, she was, funny thing was she was, I think she was trying to be nice, I think. Mm -hmm. But she looked at me and she said, I always see you on social media traveling and working so hard and, I always think, oh, you're a single mom and I feel so bad for you that you have to work so hard that you can't go, you know, with us to like play mm. tennis or have lunch or, you know, whatever. And she was going on and on. And I, I, I mean, I will admit I had first like a visceral response that I had to like hold back the horses before it came out of my mouth. But then the response that came out of my mouth was please don't waste another second of your life feeling bad for me. I live a life of purpose and meaning and I have a tremendous blessing of getting paid to do some of it. But look at that. How, how many years ago was that? It's still sitting it's with still you. It's still there. It's still there because I, my immediate reaction was why do you, why is that still occupying space in your head? You know, it's occupying space in my head because in every working mother's mind, and I, I please tell me if you're not one, because I'd love to hear your secret behind how you don't have it in your head. In the back of every working mother's mind is a feeling of not being good enough. Now, for me, I, get that. The, I, get she, that. I mean, I have lunch with my friends, and I don't play tennis, but I go to the beach and swim in the ocean and sail and do all sorts of other things with my friends. I don't have a shortage mm. of time with my friends. I have an amazing yeah. social group and and a great life in that way. Maybe I don't put it, that to me as private. I don't put it on social yeah. media usually. We all deserve to be able to further our knowledge and keep learning. That's why The Great Courses Plus is so important. We both love the streaming service. It's founded on the idea that education should be accessible to everyone. They make it possible for everyone to learn from the brightest minds out there that most of us would never otherwise have access to. For example, professors from the best universities in the world like Harvard, Yale, Stanford, experts from National Geographic and the Smithsonian. This is college-level learning, but without student loans or the pressure of homework or grades. And the Great Courses Plus app makes it possible to learn whichever way works best for you. Watch or listen to lectures at any time. Hans, what courses are you checking out now? Well, I'm sort of halfway through um, great tours of England, Scotland, and Wales, so I took a little bit of a tourist break. But uh, the next two that are queued up for me is, one is on George Orwell, who I really admire, uh, and the other one is The Rise of the Novel. So I still haven't written my novel. I only write short stories, and I think there's a novel in there somewhere. So that, that one's going to interest me. I love it. And you can always check out my courses, too. There's one on building resilience, finding meaning in adversity, and there's another on I Rest Yoga Nidra, Integrative Restoration for Deep Relaxation. 
And you can unlock this world of knowledge with The Great Courses Plus. Right now, they're giving our listeners a special limited time offer, a free month of unlimited access to their entire library. But to get this offer, you need to sign up through our special URL. You can start your free month today. Go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash molly. That's all spelled out, thegreatcoursesplus.com forward slash molly. Don't wait. Sign up today. You'll enjoy it. There's also a feeling that yeah. they gave a lot up yeah. for that, right? I mean, sure. you know. Totally agree. And and by the way, I can think of two or three things in, in, in my life. You know, the decisions that we make, there's a, look, I traveled 200 days a year for more years than I can remember, and I have a, had a lot of feeling about not being as present for my kids as, as I could have been. Uh, but on the flip side, I know I was present for them in, you know, in, in their life. But I think there's always the, 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 these trade-offs. But it, what's interesting to me is that you are a very strong and, and, and proud person. You, you, you don't do things you don't want to do. You know, or, no. or, or if you, if there are things that you're doing that you don't want to do, you, you actually actionalize that to, 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 to address that, right? So, but I, I think in, in general, it, it's, what you're explaining is, like you said, every working woman has a, has a place in their head, or every, every, every working mom has a place in their head for that thought, right? Of course, and and yeah. I think and I, I really think men too. I think it's yeah. easy. I think men don't have to make as many excuses for why they're not as present. I definitely mm. think, um, and I want to make space too. Like there's, I have several um, gay friends in my life, including the mothers of my goddaughter. I think in every situation, no matter what the gender is, there's always a play of how that play that you know that plays out where you know, where you find the balance in your family and where those roles are played. Um, but, you know, another piece that I think, so I totally agree with you. I think it does play out on both sides. And I would just invite, you know, in all relationships, in every relationship, we constantly need to be finding balance and places where both people can thrive, not just one. You know, the, the martyr, like the martyr needs to die. Like that yeah. is a very tired concept yeah. that should have been gone a few thousand years ago. And it's still here and it happens all the time. So, you know, to find balance and to find freedom where both people really want what's best for the other person. Like loving people doesn't mean loving them the way I want to love them. In, in every relationship, we need to love people the way they need to be loved so they can thrive and that if we're choosing to be in a relationship, that we can choose to create the soil where both people thrive yeah. and the children thrive and everyone thrives. And if it's not that, then it's not working. Yeah. Talking about people bringing people together, people being together, thriving. Um, I took this note, it came from one of our podcasts, because I'm always writing things down in the middle of our podcast, but the, the concept, the, the art of gathering, mm -hmm. from your perspective, 
What makes for a meaningful gathering of people? Mm, I love this question. The very first thing is safety. If there's not a container of safety, then things get distorted quickly. I feel diversity. Dig, dig, dig into that a little bit. Give me an example of, of if, that. If I or anyone doesn't feel safe to be in the space, whether it's because we don't feel physically safe or we don't feel emotionally, mentally, spiritually safe, we are setting ourselves up for a dysfunctional situation. Um, safety is in... I personally find safety in, in being welcomed as I am and welcoming other people as they are, um, of honoring the integrity of everyone's voice and their chance to express it. Safety to me is having an equal opportunity space where we try to actualize everyone's potential to have a seat at the table and a voice. Um, safety is in being able to honor that when people have an emotional response, there's usually some wisdom or truth in it. Safety is in balance, having a balanced mm -hmm. round table <laughs> where everyone is welcome. Um, safety is also in spiritual safety of being in a place where there's space to be connected to consciousness. I know I feel so much more safe in environments where some amount of meditation or mindfulness is woven into the mm -hmm. experience because we're making space for the opportunity to feel connection and wholeness in the midst of whatever we're doing, even if yeah. it's a business meeting. Okay. So that was safety is the first. What, what else? Diversity? Diversity. I love having, inviting, you know, the people who you would never think are going to be in the room together. And I love seeing the way they engage and play together, the way we engage and play together. It is so meaningful to me to have environments that challenge my limits. I'm in this really deep dialogue, and this kind of relates to your second question, but I'm in this really deep dialogue right now with where is the edge of my kindness? Where is the edge of my compassion? Where is the edge of my love? And to be able to be in diverse environments with people who challenge that in any way is a chance to be in direct dialogue with that question. And and this still blows me away after all the years I know you, how you how you get to and I know I know this comes from like 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 your meditation and, and your and, and really sort of trying to unpeel the things that, that block you. Uh, but that question of, you know, the challenging the edge of your compassion, challenging the edge of your love, I think a lot of our listeners would be like, Wow, why why haven't I thought about that? That was my first reaction when you just said that. It's like you know, and I and I sit with myself a lot. You know, I, I, mm -hmm. I meditate, and but that's such a, it's such a, not simple, a pure 
way of exploring something really intense. Mm-hmm. Really intense. And, and to put it in the context of diversity is really interesting to me. Yeah, it's... Um, and I mean diversity of all kinds. I think sometimes yeah. we think of diversity like, you know, and of course it includes diversity of colors and, and genders and, yeah. um, you know, sexuality preferences and all of that. But it also includes political diversity. Yeah. Um, I just spent three weeks with my family uh, and um, I, I, you know, I don't, I'm not going to go into it because I, my family's space is sacred, but I will say that we have divergent political views um, and that we had a really, we've created a dialogue around it. Like we have boundaries, we have lines mm-hmm. we don't cross, and we have. Um, I'm not saying it always goes perfectly; it doesn't. Yeah. But we have chances to see where that line is and to see where. I, it's important, especially yeah. with people you cherish, right? Of course. Is is to explore the diversity in your in your relationship, mm-hmm. just within that relationship right mm-hmm. and it can get so much deeper yeah and it's can i go into it this is one of the places where um i just did a social media post about it actually yesterday but where can we come into an actual dialogue of connection with each other because really no matter what political party you're in we all want the same things yeah. we want to be happy we want to be well no maybe not all the same things but in general everyone wants to be happy everyone wants to be safe everyone wants yeah. a home everyone wants to feel love and connection and have enough to eat and send their kids to a good school like those things are there so the ways in which we do it are varied and that's the nature of discourse but we can learn from discourse we can learn from why someone thinks the way they do. And then if you really have a belief and you really think it's real, like people who are secure in their beliefs can have conversations around them. And that's one yeah. of the things that I think is not happening now is we're not having conversations. You know, we talk about learning to be comfortable being uncomfortable, but can we be comfortable l- holding a field of love and you know, like the Nikki quote, you know, mm-hmm. I may not understand, but I can be understanding. Yeah. You know, can I listen to why someone feels the way they do? Because everyone in my family, they're not irrational people. They're deeply thoughtful, yeah. loving people. There's reasons they think the way yeah. they do. Yeah. And yeah. I need to respect that. And they need to respect it too. I, I love that. So in the context of meaningful gatherings, because what, one of the things I do at work, I'll take, if, if I'm trying to solve something with a client, I'll do this Hans dinner party thing where I invite... <laughs> I love your parties. Where I, no, but where, yeah, where I invite <laughs> like four other people to have dinner with my client and me. And during that dinner, we drink lots of wine. And that group is a forum to my client to solve that. But it will be an eclectic group of people. There'll be a social entrepreneur who knows nothing about my client's business. There'll be somebody that has deep experience in that field. There might be somebody who I think is a really good listener and will provide a perspective. And I, I put this eclectic group of people and say, this is your forum for tonight. And, you know, everything stays here. And really what I'm doing is I'm, I'm trying to create a synapse that isn't the normal synapse that that, indiv- that client gets in their business world in trying to solve a business issue. Yes. Right? And I, I think that's, that 
amazing stuff comes out of that. Amazing stuff comes out yes, of Yes, you're planting the seeds of creativity. Yes. When you create a divergent field, you know, there you know, in thermodynamics, there has to be a falling apart before a reorganization can occur into a, it can occur into a higher state. Like that's the prerequisite of creativity, exactly what you're doing. And that's mm-hmm. and by the way, Hans's dinners, if you ever get invited, like you should go. Like they're amazing. You could invite yourself. Okay, yeah, I will all the time. <laughs> no, I'm not saying you, but my listeners, <laughs> you really want to see, invite but, yourself. You know, and I'm a part of a creative fellowship called Jericho, and we are such a diverse group of people. I mean, there's not one person who's like the next. And that is the most safe creative space I've ever felt. There's such a deep love and respect for where other people are coming from, and at the same time, an openness to grow into a more expansive view of the self. Yeah. Anything else that goes into a good gathering? I think those two are... are Fun. Fun. You know, it's like, can we stop being so serious? I'm so done being serious. I want to have fun. Because when we have fun, we open up to laughter and joy and abundance and grace and kindness. When we can... You know, like, really, that is a portal. Fun is a portal. We we did a a conversation, a conversation that that we haven't published yet, but the story was really interesting. Uh, My friend Maurice mentioned, I think he had an an uncle who who was like this amazing musician. Do you remember that that story? And he, he said one day he just stopped playing because... His, his hero was mm. like Mozart or something. I'm getting the, the names wrong, yeah. but he said, I'll never be that good. So he just stopped this, this amazing talent. And I, I want to ask you, um, this, this concept of not doing something because you feel you're not good enough at it. React to that for me. Oh, I'm in dialogue with that all the time. Mm, can we all just like breathe into this for a minute? What are we not doing because we feel not good enough? Take a couple deep breaths in that space. I'm going to do it too. Um, I'm touching the one that is the most potent and obvious and you and I have talked about it I think in other podcasts but um, mine is my book Um, I could have published three books in the time that I've spent writing in fact by the way I have published two books in the time that I've spent I was just gonna say I thought you got over that uh, yeah I have published two books and now I'm working but I'm I haven't published the book right there is a book that I'm putting my cells into and it's it's funny because I I recently had a shift in this and I will attribute it to one of our podcasts uh, guess Megan Poe she helped me cross this bridge I for a long time was trying to make it perfect 
and I was mm. afraid of putting out something that wasn't everything that it could be. And now I've really crossed over into this field of letting it be precisely what it is in the pulse of this moment. And here's the piece. This is the piece that's changed. It doesn't have to be perfect. It has to be absolutely in frequency with this moment of what is here. Mm -hmm. And any discord out of the exact frequency of this moment, that's what's got to go. So I've redefined the definition of perfect. Some, no matter what I write, someone's going to criticize it. No matter what I write, someone will think it's great. No matter right, what, oh, I hope somebody will think it's great. Mm -hmm. Maybe at least my mom will think it's great. But. <laughs> yeah. um, but the bottom line being that if we do what is authentic to us, then that is the perfect expression in that moment. And as I've learned, even from the two books I already wrote, whatever you write, and if you're evolving in a couple of years, you will feel differently about it. So a book is a snapshot. Yeah. And if you're actually a person who's practicing what you preach and evolving along with it, like I talk all the time in my previous things about hero's journey. And now a huge part of the book I'm writing is about dismantling this whole notion of the hero's journey, because the whole thing is based on hierarchy. And like we get to this state where suddenly we become the hero and that we aren't yep. having a very human experience of suffering and anger and jealousy and fear and greed and hatred and jealousy, you know, all this stuff. Like look at any hero that you love and you will see suffering. that even after you called them a hero, they were suffering and yeah. they were doing crazy yeah. stuff yeah. and they were not perfect. So it's like a dismantling of this notion of perfection to allow people the full spectrum of their humanity while still providing a course that we can evolve as human beings, like still providing space to evolve. That's and, interesting because in, yeah. in, in my book, I, I, I've shared with people that there's pieces of, of my stories in my, my book that I do differently now that, you know, and, and they said, well, why don't you rewrite it? I'm like, because it was written then. Yeah, it 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 is its work. I'm not going to. I might write another one, but my writing may be better. My perspective may be better on the same stories yes. in the book. Yes. But that book was its thing and is its thing. That would be yeah. such a cool art document to have. Not art. I mean, it is art, but be so cool. So in Hans's in one of Hans's books, he picks topics. And then he writes this beautiful little vignette about that topic. But it would be so cool to maybe like every 10 years pick the same words and write a vignette mm. about that word of what that means to you in this moment. Oh, my 50 words would not be the same words anymore. I, I, I'd say probably 30 of them would be the same. But what I, like you said, what I think about them would be different. Totally. I might do, that's a, a good idea. Maybe I need to do my 50 words again. Uh. It was a lot of work, that thing. To show the evolution of a human being and to... Yeah, yeah. You know, we suffer when we want reality to be different than what it is. So, if I, at 42, right now, with emergent wrinkles on my forehead and gray hair sprouting, if I look back at what I looked like when I was 25 
and I want to be that person. You know, that is setting up to suffer. Now, again, like let's be in dialogue. What aging person doesn't want to look younger, or feel fit, or whatever? But that's also the question. Like, can we make space to not have to be this perfect canned thing for the rest of our lives? Like, can right. we instead create the dialogue where Hans gets to write his book, and then in 10 years, he gets to rewrite his book. And then if he wants to rewrite it again in one year, he can do it can again. Do it. But if he doesn't want to rewrite it, because it's it was that thing there, yeah. and I'm holding, I'm valuing, valuing that time. Mm-hmm. You know, that was my 50th birthday, 50 words, my gift to my kids. I'm not going to go rewrap that gift. No. I might rewrite it on my 60th birthday. You know, I might do something different. But for me, I think this, this idea that, like you say, nothing's perfect and everything's written for the time it really, really resonates with me. Well, and also in the concept of, you know, letting people be their age, like right now, Hans, your mom is living, you know, a couple, a block from your house and there's, she's such a delight, Heidi. She's got so much wisdom and insight and such a sweet light spirit. And, you know, to honor that every phase has such value. It has value in getting there and playing with the little kids. It has value in being with teenagers and you always do that so well, like really valuing what young brains think and how they think totally differently than we did and they date differently and they earn money differently and they everything. And to really like be in that conversation with all the ages of like, what can I learn here? Like how can I play in this space and how can I connect with this person and what they're doing in this moment? It's so beautiful. It is. I'm going to ask you one more question. Okay. And you know the question, but I, I want to know this answer. Uh, what would be your cave painting message to the world? So, mm-hmm. contextually, you know, we look at cave paintings and we learn about previous civilizations from what they drew. And so, if Molly were to create a cave painting that represents the message she wants to leave behind, what would it look like? Mm, live love. <laughs> Like a verb. Live love. Okay, that's a cave word. I oh. want give me. An, <laughs> I, want, I want a cave painting. A painting. Is there a mantra? Is there is there is there a mandala? Is there visual? That's so interesting. Maybe it's just live love. I don't, you know, I'm not a Come visual. on, you got like 10 minutes to scribble on the wall of the cave painting. You've written live love. What, what are the adjacent things around it? So interesting. Last night, uh, the answer is like, I think I would just sit and stare at the wall. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that I have something that would make the wall any better than it already is. Uh, that's, that's classic Molly. And I'm going to draw, I'm going to be in the cave with you, and I'm going to draw a picture of you staring at a wall. <laughs> we need to leave that behind. What your, your message is, sometimes you just got to look at the wall, right? I just, you know, it's so interesting. You've asked that question to other people, and I never once thought of what my answer would be. But it, last night, I had the most beautiful conversation with 
a friend of mine, Corpor, who is this, look him up, his art is outrageously just, wow, incredible. And it's so interesting because my art form is words and Mm -hmm. my art form is creating experiences and energetic spaces where people can explore consciousness and explore each other and explore the mind and that's my art form. But my friend Cora is this just, he's, he's young and he is already like a famous, amazing artist. And Cora sees in visuals. So we were talking about our meditative experiences and his were so lucidly visual. Mm-hmm. They were rich and alive and they were taking me on this whole journey just hearing him talk about his visualizations and oh my God, it just lit up my grid. Like I just completely was, I floated yeah. all night. I mean, it was just, I'm still on that wave that See, I'm a visual person created. too. You know, I, I need a whiteboard and draw things out and, and, and you know, I, I and it's interesting because I'm a word guy, right? But my creative internal process is very visual. So my meditation is, is that way too. It's very visual. But what's interesting is like, that what we're talking about right now that's what's cool about diversity because i couldn't have gotten to that place that i did last night without that deep connection with core and without his generosity of sharing his piece and i also shared my piece and in that space of interconnection there was this beautiful flow and you constantly take your paintbrush and paint your picture Mm -hmm. and that makes my life better and that is that's what i feel this podcast is all about and it's yeah. also what our lives are about. And it's what I feel is being asked of us as human beings to honor the beauty of diversity and knowing we are not isolated individuals. Take no. down the hero archetype and just be with whoever you're Who, with. Whoever you are. And whoever you are at the core. Yeah. And if you can live that authentic pulse and honor and make the space for others to do that, that's freedom. And then we all rise. I think that's a great way to finish this off. Listen, I admire you so, so very much. And you've accomplished so much. And there's a lot left to be done, I'm sure. But um, thank you for this. Thank you, Hans. I feel like I know you and then I learn so much more every time. I feel that way with you too. Love you. That was special. Yeah. Our podcast, Conversations Matter, is produced by Amalia Briggs. Our sound engineer is Matthew Tucker. And our amazing sponsor is The Great Courses Plus. Thank you. We couldn't do it without you.